So I was filling up my SUV yesterday um, at the gas station, and um, yeah, that's, uh, I just tell you that, that it wasn't very cheap. And uh, you know, the prices of gas is just, is just astronomical right now, and I think in some other states like California, it's probably worse. And I was just thinking, too, that, that the past year, things have just gotten pretty expensive, right? So the price of food, some food like meats have been pretty expensive. Prices of cars have actually gone up quite a bit, too, as well, right? If you were to go buy a car, you can't really work out a deal, right? Everything is whatever is on the sticker now, it seems, right? Or maybe you're getting things in the mail saying, hey, you know, we're going to buy your car from you, and they're actually offering you more money for the car you have. Interesting, right, how that works. When you think about car companies, how they really the bottom, you know, they're, they're more focused on the bottom line, right? How many cars have they sold, right? How much profit are they making? You know, and some, some companies, car companies, they'll do whatever it takes to be on top. And you've seen some of the commercials, right, where, where maybe a Ford a truck is up against a Chevy truck and to make the Chevy truck look really bad, even though the, you know, the Ford truck is in four-wheel drive and the Chevy truck is a little 250, you know, just rear-wheel drive truck, right? But you don't know these things, right, because they're faking you out. And so you hear, you know, you see these car companies are always just trying to cut corners sometimes, right? Like how many of you here own a Toyota, right? Right, some of us, right? I don't know why there aren't any more. But, uh, but some of us here own Toyotas, and I love Toyotas. I've actually owned a couple, and I usually buy a, like a Tacoma or a 4Runner, but I always buy the model that is the sport edition. And I do that because they have a cool hood scoop. Right? The, the hood scoop, it looks really awesome. It makes the, the car, it enhances the look of the vehicle having a hood scoop, right? But to be honest with you, this hood scoop is non-functional. Like, it looks awesome, but there's no hole there. No air actually goes into the engine, right? Totally non-functional. But this is probably a $1,000 upgrade, right? Unreal, unreal. But, you know, to me, right, Toyotas are reliable, right? They just work. It's kind of like Apple products, right? They just work. But back in 2009, there was this news report stating that, uh, uh, they reported the potential dangers of what they called sudden, unintended acceleration in Toyota vehicles. And this happened between 2000 and 2010. So the model year, 2000-2010, of all Toyota and Lexus vehicles had this potential sudden acceleration problem. Right? And this, this issue resulted in as many as 89 deaths and 52 injuries in the U.S. alone. Pretty wild to, to consider that. So originally, Toyota stated that their investigation revealed that the cause of this problem were were the floor mats getting stuck on the pedal, on the accelerator. So they had this minor recall, kind of pretty easy recall, to replace these incompatible floor mats in your vehicle. Pretty easy fix, right? They assured, Toyota assured customers that the incidents were caused by the floor mats or driver error. All right? So the, the crazy thing about this is that Toyota really, they, they concealed this other root cause, and that was sticky pedals, where the accelerator would actually get stuck partially depressed. Right? They didn't want to reveal this issue to anyone because what would it do? Right? It would hit their bottom line. Right? They, they wouldn't make as much profit because they have to go fix all these cars. Right? The cheaper solution here is to go replace floor mats or blame the driver. If they had to go and fix this uh, accelerator problem, there'd be other parts that had to redesign some things, and it would just hit their bottom line. And it would also hurt their reputation as well as a car company. Right? So they didn't want to reveal that, right? And, and so the, you kind of wonder, like, why would anyone want to buy a car like this if it had this kind of a problem? Right? So that's why Toyota didn't want to reveal this. So in 2014, Toyota agreed to pay $1.2 billion, $1.2 billion, right, <laughs> dollars to avoid prosecution for covering up this severe safety issue. The FBI even stated that, that Toyota continued to make cars with parts they knew were deadly. Pretty scathing from the FBI, right? So was $1.2 billion <laughs> worth it to Toyota? 
Now, Toyota did whatever it took to keep their profits high and to be on top of the car manufacturing industry, right? So they even manipulated the investigation to come with a cheaper solution. So they deceived, they cheated, they cut corners, and it cost them. So when, when I look at, at our lives sometimes, when things don't always go our way, we tend to take it in our own hands. We'll do whatever it takes to get what we want or what we believe will benefit us. You know, do we cut corners as well in our lives? We take things into our own hands when we don't trust God and his promises for us. So unfortunately, when we, we could take these things to the extreme where we resort to, to lying, to cheating, to manipulation, and, and deceit. And so as we continue in the book of Genesis, we read the story of Isaac's sons, Jacob and Esau, where, where one of them ends up being this, this huge liar, right? But the story really... Uh, is about these two sons and how do they respond to the lie. So if you would, let's turn to Genesis chapter 25. And if you don't have a Bible this morning, if you go to our Connection Center in the the, uh, lobby, you can grab a Bible there. If you have a smartphone, you can download this app called YouTube, and it's really a Bible app. It's a really great app. It has devotionals in there as well, but it's also a Bible app. And from what I heard, that uh, the the YouTube or version works really well on, on your iPhone, Right? If you have an Android phone, you might have some struggles pulling up the Bible because I don't think it believes in Jesus. So. <laughs> I feel like I'm a walking commercial here up, up here. Right? So let's go set this up. So in Genesis, uh, we, we've heard, and Pastor Drew has taught about this, that, that Abraham was old. Right? He was 100 years old. And his wife Sarah was also old. She was 90. Husbands don't be walking around telling people how old your, your wife is or, or t- telling them that they're old, right? So Abraham, 100, Sarah, 90, and Sarah was barren, right? But God had this promise, and he says, Abraham, I'm going to create this line through you that you will have this offspring that will bless the world. And so Isaac was born, right? And so you, you hear uh, last week about the, the faith that Abraham had in God, right? God had, hey, you, I want you to go and, and sacrifice your son Isaac, but I, Abraham believed that, oh, this is not going to happen. You know, Isaac's going to come back with me. So you heard that story last week, right? And so now we're going to go into the story of Isaac, and this is where we pick up in Genesis chapter 25 and verse 21. It says this, and Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren, this is his wife, Rebecca. And so there's a lot of uh, parallels here when you hear about the story of Sarah, who is old and also barren. Here's Rebecca, who is kind of old too as well, but she's also barren, right? And so this is, this is God's promise to them, right? So Isaac prayed to the Lord, and the Lord granted his prayer, and Rebecca, his wife, conceived. The children struggled together within her, and she said, if it is thus, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said to her, Two nations, two nations are in your room, and two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. When her days to give birth were completed, behold, there were, two, there were twins in her room. The first came out red, and all his body was like a hairy cloak. Ew. Right? <laughs> So they called his name Esau. Afterward, his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel, so his name was called Jacob. And if you look at the footnotes, Jacob means to grasp the heel, right, or to be a cheater. So if your name is Jacob, man, sorry. Well, actually, really, this isn't, you know, questioning your moral integrity here, but, but this is why his name was named Jacob, right? So Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. When the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man, dwelling in tents. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. So again, the last two weeks, we've learned a lot about Abraham and how God made a huge promise to him that God will use this family to bless the world, right? Despite Abraham's age and Sarah's age and Sarah being born, God promised that he would bless Abraham with offspring that would lead to great nation. Abraham believed by faith like we heard last week. The promise of blessing was gonna be through Abraham, through his son Isaac, through Jacob, and then down the line right? Jacob being Isaac's son. With the faith that Abraham had in God, 
and the prompts that, that, that God had for him, this faith that, again, that we, we heard about last week, you would think that that faith would flow down to the family, right? But it seems like in this story, as we read on, maybe that faith kind of skips a generation a little bit, right? And so when Isaac was old, his eyes were dim, and he couldn't see, right? So he called his son Esau, uh, his favorite, and he says, hey, go out and hunt and prepare a meal with the game that you've caught, right? So that I may eat and that my soul will bless you, Esau, right? So when we pick up, we're actually going to skip over to Genesis chapter 27, and verse 5 is where we pick up. Now, Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. Now, this is really important, right? Because if you are a mother or a wife, um, so I'm just, I guess this message is for husbands and for kids, right? Mom knows, right? Mom knows things. And so if you're at home and you're thinking you're getting away with something, no, right? Mom knows. Mom always knows. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game and bring it, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau, bring me game and prepare for me delicious food that I may eat it and bless you before the Lord, before I die. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice as I command you. Go to the flock and bring me two good young goats so that I may prepare from them delicious food for your father such as he loves. And you shall bring it to your father to eat so that he may bless you before he dies. It's funny how Rebecca is just kind of concocting some, you know, crazy uh, lie here, right? That, that she wanted to have, she said she heard Isaac, her husband, want to go bless Esau. She said, well, you know what, that's, that's not going to happen, right? I want Isaac to bless my favorite, Jacob. And so you wonder, what's making you do this, Rebecca? And we just read in Genesis chapter 25 that, that God said that you'll have two nations in your womb. The youngest, Jacob, will rule over the oldest, Esau. So God was already promising to Rebekah that, hey, don't worry about this, right? Your, your son, Jacob, your favorite, will continue that line. You know, God's promises to Abraham will be through Jacob, or through Isaac and then through Jacob. But she didn't believe she, she had this, this, uh, this doubt, so she had to go and take matter to, matters into her own hands and, and come up with this silly plan. And it's really funny, too, because as we continue reading, you kind of wonder uh, if Jake was wondering, man, this, this idea is totally whack, right? And so she, if we continue on in verse 11, it says this. But Jacob said to Rebekah's mother, behold, and when he says behold here, it's more like, hey, consider this. Or have you even thought this through? It says, behold, my brother Esau is a hairy man, and I am a smooth man, like a newborn baby's bottom. Right? <laughs> Perhaps my father will feel me, and I shall seem to be mocking him and bring a curse upon myself and not a blessing. And his mother said to him, child, please. <laughs> Listen. Do as I say. Obey what I say, right? And this whole, all the consequences, that will just be on me. So don't worry about that. Just do what I tell you to go do. Right? And so what he does, he goes and, and uh, gets the goats. And so his mom goes and prepares the goats. And then they use the goat skins and place it on his hand so he'll feel like Esau, apparently. Kind of a crazy idea. And so he'd be more hairy, just like him. And they even raided Esau's closet so he could dress and smell like him. And so we read over in verse 18. This kind of cracks me up. So he went to his father and said, My father, and he said, Here I am. Who are you, my son? And Jacob said to him, says, I am Esau, your firstborn. Lie number one. I have done as you told me. Now sit up and eat of my game that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, How is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? That you kind of think that Isaac is like, hmm. This is kind of weird. He's a little doubtful that maybe this really is Esau, right? And so he asks this question. And so Jacob answers, because the Lord your God granted me success. That's lie number two. He even used God for this lie. Then Isaac said to Jacob, 
Please come near that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you are really my son Esau or not. And so you got to think that Jacob's like, oh, my gosh, here it comes, right? <laughs> I hope these goat skins work because he's about to feel me. Um, so Jacob went near to, his, to, near to Isaac, his father, who felt him and, and, and said, the voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And every time I read this, I just kind of, I just picture this, right? Esau being kind of the man's man, the hunter, you know, he's probably thinking, I'm Esau, right? I'm, I'm a hunter. I bring game, right? I pick things up and put them down, right? And so you think that this is how I picture Esau's voice, right? He's the man's man, right? And then Jacob's voice, you kind of wonder, like, ha, hey, Pluto, ha. You know, I don't know. Every time I read it, it just kind of cracks me up because are their voices really that different? And I feel bad now because you're going to leave here this morning and you're going to think that Jacob sounds like Mickey Mouse. <laughs> All you're going to take from this morning is that, oh, you know, Jacob, yeah, he sounds like Mickey Mouse. And, man, when I see, when I see Jacob and him, I'm out to kind of apologize to him for that. But, but this is what, you know, Isaac is wondering, like, you know, he's hairy, like my son Esau, but his voice doesn't sound like that. So he's already questioning what's going on here. And he says, he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. He said, are you really my son Esau? And Jacob answered him, I am. That's line number three. Then he said, bring it near to me that I may eat of my son's game and bless you. So he brought it near to him and he ate and he brought him wine and he drank. Isn't it interesting that when you're caught in a lie, that you have to tell more lies to make the first lie sound legit? You know, I, it reminds me of this time when, when I was about 11 years old, my sister was four, and we were playing outside, and a friend of mine was throwing rocks at us, and so, hey, you know, quit doing that, and a rock hits my sister right here and leaves a scar, right? So I was really scared. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm taking care of my sister. My, my parents are out, you know, they're working, and so I brought them back, uh, brought, my, brought my sister back and said, hey, you know, when mom and dad comes home, just kind of tell them that you were taking a nap and you fell off the couch and you hit your head in a coffee table. Yeah, okay, cool, cool lie. Right, so that lie lasted for like 25 years. <laughs> and it was, I felt bad. I remember going, visiting my parents when I was in the Philippines and, you know, I'm already an adult. And they said, oh, man, you remember when Melissa, you know, she fell down and, yeah, and she, she hurt herself, uh, you know, on that coffee table. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, man, they could still see the scar. Yeah, and a couple years after that, I finally told the truth. And, uh, but it's funny that when you are caught in a lie, you always have to build that up to make sure that the original lie sounds legit, right? And this is what Jacob is doing here. He tells his father that, yes, I am Esau. Oh, I was able to get the game because God blessed me. Now he's trying to justify this by, by, by you know, using God to make it even sound more legit than that. And he lies again, saying, yes, I am Esau. Kind of sounds like Peter when he denied Jesus three times, right? You know, he's telling those people, no, I don't know him. I don't know him. Three times he did that. He's fearful for his life. Jacob is caught in this web of lies that he not only created for himself, but when you think about it, Rebecca, his mom, actually kind of put him in this position. Right? So all of this effort, because they didn't trust God's promise that he would be, Jacob would be, the leader of this family, that he would continue this family line. They didn't believe that the promise and the blessing to Abraham would also flow down through him. So the big idea this morning, this is our sermon in a sentence, is this. Despite our shortcomings, God is never short on his promises. Despite our shortcomings, God is never short on his promises. And as we read through this, there are three principles that we're going to, we're going to learn here this morning. And the first one is, dishonesty isn't worth it. So Rebecca and Jacob believed that it was necessary to deceive and manipulate Isaac so then Isaac would bless Jacob over Esau. Now, unfortunately, that's kind of the way the world works here, right? Where there is a preference for competency over character, right? It's no longer about your integrity or your ethical behavior, right? It's all about how competent you are in cheating or manipulating the system, when you look at reality TV shows, right, there's a show like Big Brother, and then there's other other show called Survivor, right? And would you believe that, that Survivor now is on its 42nd season? 
This show started back in 2000, and it's still going. And the whole point of that show is not necessarily uh, surviving in the wilderness or wherever they drop them off, right? What it's about is that it all comes down uh, to, to the end of the episode where everyone that's on that show, all the contestants, vote someone off the island, right? It doesn't really matter what they're doing throughout the day, right? It's just at the end of the episode, hey, who are we going to vote off? And this is where you hear each member talk about how they're strategizing and conniving and, and making alliances with other members here, right? So, hey, you know what? This guy, you know, he's, he's going to be uh, kind of a threat to me winning, so let's go vote him off. And so that's what they do, right? They lie, manipulate. And so at the end of the, sh- the show, you have this winner. And basically, the winner of the show is the best manipulator, right? Oh, congratulations. You know, you're the best liar. And the whole world knows that you're the best liar, right? But, you know, the ratings suggest that this is the kind of stuff that we love, right? I mean, gosh, this show has been around for 22 years, and it's still going. And I know there are fans here, and one sitting behind the sound uh, team over there, too. So. <laughs> so we can't fall into the trap of being deceitful people, right, manipulators for our own gain. Just because everyone else is doing it around us doesn't mean we should especially if we're faced with it on a day-to-day basis, right? We can see manipulation and cheating around us, and it could be easy to say, you know what? If it's working out for them, maybe I should do the same thing. And unfortunately, sometimes that experience happens at home. Now, Paul talks about it in his letter to Timothy. In Timothy chapter 4, in the first verse, it says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times... Some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teaching of demons. And so what we want to do is what Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 4. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. We got to put away falsehood. Any little white lie can become an avalanche of deception. Like I said earlier, that one lie ends up, you know, resulting in more lies just to make sure that one lie is legit. You saw it with Jacob and the lies he, he, he said to Isaac and even used God for that. But my, my question this morning is, when God makes a promise to you, will you trust him or will you try to take it into your own hands because you feel and believe that it's not going to work out the way you wanted it to? And here's another tougher question. Where have you let a desire to win or get what you want drive you to disqualify or contradict your character? Where are you making compromises on your character to get ahead? Remember that any deceit and manipulation always negatively impacts someone, and that could be someone you love. So as you continue to read in in Genesis, uh, Jacob just received the blessing from Isaac uh, that was meant for his brother Esau. And as he was walking out, Esau walks in and is like, oh my gosh, this is close, right? He, he just got away with it. And so Esau prepared the food from the game that he caught and brought it to his father. So let's continue in Genesis chapter 27 and verse 31. It says this, Let my father arise and eat of his son's game that you may bless me. And his father Isaac said to him, Who are you? He answered, I'm your son, your firstborn, Esau. Then Isaac trembled very violently and said, Who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? And I ate all it all before you came, and I have blessed him. Yes, and he shall be blessed. Isaac is like, oh, my gosh, what just happened here? You know, who was the person that came in earlier? You know, I thought that was you, and so I blessed that person. As soon as Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, even me also, father. But he said, Your brother came deceitfully, and he has taken away your blessing. And Esau said, Is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has cheated me these two times. He took away my birthright, and behold, now he takes away my blessing. Then he said, Have you not reserved a blessing for me? Oh, my father. It's interesting to, to 
read this where we, we see this bitter, bitterness and frustration uh, whenever we have that uh, can lead to us remembering things a little bit differently. Right? When, when you read about Esau, he, he's blaming Jacob for these two times that he's been deceived. Yes, he was deceived here for getting the blessing, but also in the birthright earlier on uh, that we read in, in chapter 25. And, and what, what, what happened there was Esau was starving. He was coming back from a hunt, and, and there wasn't any food except that his brother Jacob actually had some stew made up. He goes, oh, my gosh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to die here if I don't eat anything. And so he says, hey, can you, Jacob, can you give me some of your food? And Jacob, he goes, well, you know, I could give you some if you give over your birthright. <laughs> oh, that sounds like a great deal, right? And so Esau goes and takes it, right? And so when you go through the story, he's, he's blaming uh, Jacob for two things, the blessing and then also his birthright. But really, that birthright thing was kind of his own fault. But I don't really blame Esau here for being frustrated. I mean, he, he had this, uh, this, this bitter cry, exceedingly bitter cry. So how would you feel if you went out to go hunting as your father asked, right? And, and as you're hunting, you're pretty excited, knowing that, hey, you know, when I get back, when I make this food, I'm going to get my, my father's blessing, only to find out your snot-nosed little brother took it from you, right? That's got to be a heartbreaker. You're excited for something, so when you get, you're just, I, I can't wait to get back. Because I'm going to be blessed by my father. And then you find out it was just stolen right from under you. Right? Esau's life, I have to believe, uh, and his perspective on things uh, probably changed at this point in his life. Right? Deceit and manipulation negatively, negatively impacts people in your life, including your family. It may seem that when we have to revert to dishonesty to get what we want, we tend to forget the consequences downstream. Dishonesty always will hurt more than just yourself. And you'll see it here with, with Jacob hurting Esau. So let me go back to this whole blessing thing and kind of give a little bit of a background for that. Right? So in those days, before the father passed, he would perform the ceremony of blessing, right? in which he would officially hand over the birthright to the rightful heir. Right? Normally, that is the firstborn. Right? And, and so... But, but, but this birthright thing, this blessing, isn't official until that blessing was announced or pronounced, right? And so, yeah, so you have this birthright, but until your father tells you that, hey, you're going to be blessed, then that's when it starts to kick in, right? And that's why Esau pleaded for this blessing, because while he did sell his, his birthright to his brother, right, that wasn't really official yet, right? So he had a chance to reclaim that if his father blessed him. So Esau continued to plead with his father for this blessing, and this is what Isaac says to him. Behold, away from the fatness of the earth shall your dwelling be, and away from the dew of heaven on high. By your sword you shall live, and you shall serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you shall break his yoke from your neck. Hmm. That doesn't really sound much like a blessing, does it? It reminds me of fortune cookies, right? Back in the day when I was a kid, fortune cookies actually had some really cool words like, yo, you're going to be blessed throughout the year, blah, 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 this and that, right? Like fortune cookies nowadays, they kind of just tell you fact, right? Like if you don't put gas in your car, you're going to end up on the side of the road. <laughs> Here are your lotto numbers, right? So that's kind of how this, this blessing kind of blessing is, right? This is what Isaac is telling Esau here. It really isn't a blessing. You know, it, it actually just says that, hey, uh, Esau, you know, your, your brother's going to rule over you. You know, you're the oldest. So it's, it's a case of the haves in Jacob and the have-nots in Esau, and they will continue to come to blows for a time uh, like they struggled uh, while in the womb. And so Esau's reaction to all this is pretty natural. And so he says this in verse uh, chapter 41, or verse 41. Now Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are approaching. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. Esau's heart is full of, of rage and vengeance against his, against his brother because of all this anguish that he's caused, right? And so it seems that, that Esau's reaction could be justified, but, but this is the truth here. And the, the second principle is leave vengeance to God. And I'm sure Esau already had this, this, this pent-up rage and anger towards his brother for, for losing his, his birthright, and now his blessing was just taken, right? And, and so some of this anger 
was based on all this stuff. And I'm sure there's other things that he was angry about, like maybe getting blamed for, for stealing cookies out of the cookie jar, but yet his brother did that, right? So all these things throughout the years just kind of built up to this point. And that's a natural reaction for a lot of us where we can store up this anger within us and, and then uh, just justify all this anger we have uh, because of all the wrongs that people have done to us. And maybe some of these, these wrongs really kind of just built up in our own minds. We made it worse than it really is. The, the pent-up anger can continue to eat at us and create more animosity within us, right? It ultimately corrupts our minds and our attitude, not only toward the one who wronged us, but begins to expand to other people. A few weeks ago, Pastor Drew and I uh, had a, a short uh, ski trip and we were heading to Winter Park. But the night before, we said, hey, you know, let's, let's stay the night in Granby. And so we headed up to, to Granby that, that night. And on our way, um, I was just telling them, hey, you, know, you ever heard of this show called Tread? You know, it's, it's about uh, this, uh, this story uh, of this guy in, in Granby, right, that, uh, that built this tank out of a bulldozer. And, and so... We, the next morning, we're heading to, to Winter Park, and we stopped at this coffee shop. And lo and behold, there's this book about this very story, right? And so that, what happened here in, in back in 2004, uh, there was a, uh, this, this man named Marvin Haymeyer. Uh, who, Marv is what, what people called him. And he was a, a muffler repair shop owner. And what he had was this, this feud with the Granby town officials uh, for violating uh, city health ordinance because he purchased some property to build a shop that didn't have the sewage line connected to the, the city line, right? And so he had a lot of fines from, from the town officials because he was uh, improperly dumping sewage uh, from his business rather than actually connecting to the sewage line, right? He felt that, hey, it was up to them, the city, to go and connect to me, right? But they were saying, well, you know, it's your business. You got to go and pay for all this stuff. So he just thought that, that the, the town officials were just kind of after him. So the, in the documentary, you can you hear him talk about these people who, who did him wrong, these town officials, right? He recorded these messages on cassette tapes, knowing that he was going to go do something a little extreme, right? And so he had all this pent-up anger toward these people, and he decided to get back at them, right? And you can hear him state that in, in, this, in these, um, these cassette tapes. And it, it's kind of funny how when, when, when you're about to go do something stupid and extreme, you, you go and, and justify it by, by kind of blaming it on God. You know, God told me to go do this, and that's what he did, right? So Marv builds this ginormous tank out of a bulldozer by welding armor all over it. And on June 4th of 2004, he went on this rampage and focused on destroying the businesses owned by these town officials who felt uh, did him wrong. This is crazy to, to think that, that he had all this pent-up anger, that he went to this extreme to get back at these people. And this is a pretty big deal that he did. And so when, while he was destroying these businesses, he actually, his tank got stuck in the basement of one of those, uh, air, uh, one of those buildings. And, uh, and, and so the, the police surrounded him. They couldn't get in there, but at that time, he knew that it was over, and so he took his own life. So you wonder, like, man, is that, was that worth it? Is it worth doing that? To take things in your own life, in your own hands? So in Romans chapter 12, it says, if, if possible... So far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourself, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Paul says to never avenge yourself. You know, God will take care of it. You know, if there's anyone who had the right to avenge himself, it was the Apostle Paul. You, know, he, you think of all the struggles that he had throughout his life, you know, being persecuted and then being thrown into jail, where he actually wrote a lot of his letters from, right? If anyone had the right to he, uh, and have re resentment towards other people, it would be Paul. And I think many of us find ourselves living a life of resentment when we think about uh, some people maybe at work that have said something to us or, or treated us poorly. That, you know, we we want to kind of get back at them. A little bit. Well, you know, I'll show you later, you know, or, or someone at the store or restaurant where, you know, they also gave you bad service. You know, well, I'm not going to tip you then. I'm just going to tell everyone that this business is horrible. 
Maybe there's someone in your family that you're holding resentments against, right? Where someone who uh, said something to you negatively or did something to you negatively. Any of us would be, any of these, uh, these, these things that we would face is, you know, could justify or be a motivation for revenge. But God says, let me take care of it. Only live peaceably with everyone. And it doesn't necessarily have to be uh, peaceably with the one who wronged you, right? The, the key message here is this, is that uh, is not to allow the resentment to manifest into hate towards everyone, let alone yourself. And I think that's the worst part too is, is the resentment towards yourself where you start to believe that, uh, that you don't matter, that you are not worth it, that God does not love you. I had a message from a friend in high school uh, this week who says, what if you're just so far gone? I've done so many things in my life that I regret, but to me, it just seems like it just doesn't matter anymore. You know, why would God love me? And it's a heartbreaker because there's a lot of people who live in this life of resentment towards themselves. And when they start feeling like they just can't make it beyond where they're at, they'll start to make some some pretty bad decisions for their life, you know, and, and sometimes it'll be hurtful towards themselves, and, and other times it could be hurtful towards other people, and this is not what, what God wants for us. Self-resentment and hate is just another way that the enemy, the devil, uh, his way and his lie to consume you and to turn you away from God. So at this point where we are very vulnerable and in a time of weakness is his time to go and pounce. Right? In 1 Peter 5, 8, it says that we need to be sober-minded and watchful, aware. Right? The devil prowls around like a roaring lion waiting to consume you. So the enemy waits for the perfect time to strike. And when we're in this time of weakness and self-loathing, he's going to go and try and strike. And going back to Genesis chapter 27, Esau just said that once his father is gone, he's going to go kill his brother Jacob. So Rebecca, the mom, knows about this, right? Like I told you before, be careful, mom knows. All right, so mothers know everything, right? So she tells Jacob that Esau is going to kill him. So hey, you know, Jacob, you should probably leave and, and go to Laban and go hang out with, with my brother, your uncle, and, and stay there for a while till Esau's anger towards you subsides. Right? But before you leave, uh, your father's going to uh, leave you with a blessing, right? And so Jacob blesses him and tells him not to marry a Canaanite woman. Instead, just go to Rebekah's dad's place and marry one of the daughters from that house. And so Genesis chapter 28, we move on to that. And verse 3 says, God Almighty, this is Isaac telling Jacob, God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you that you may become a, com a company of peoples. May he give the blessing of Abraham to you and to your offspring with you that you may take possession of the land of your sojourning that God gave Abraham. Again, here's the blessing through Abraham to Isaac to Jacob. Thus Isaac sent Jacob away and he went to Padan Aram to Laban, the son of Bethuel, the Amorean, the brother of Rebekah, Jacob's and Esau's mother. Thank goodness you don't have to pronounce these names correctly to go to heaven, right? <laughs> so Isaac sends Jacob away with a blessing, and, the, and this one was a very detailed and focused blessing to him, right? It wasn't a fortune cookie blessing. This was actually detailed, like, I want you to go here and be fruitful and multiply. It was a promise that God, again, made to Abraham through Isaac to Jacob. Okay, that's important, right? This, this blessing through this line is very important. We have to remember this. So, of course, Esau finds this out, right? And so if you go to verse 6, it says, Now Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him away to Badan Aram to take a wife from there, that he blessed him, uh, that as he blessed him, he directed him, You must not take a wife from the Canaanite women, and that Jacob had obeyed his father and his mother and gone to Padan Aram. So when Esau saw that the Canaanite women did not please Isaac, his father, Esau went to Ishmael and took as his wife, besides the wives he already had, Mahathaloth, I think that's how you say it, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, the sister of Neboeth. So you have to put yourself in Esau's shoes here, right? He was the firstborn, so naturally he felt cheated when he lost his blessing, right, from his father that was given to his brother Jacob. So the only thing that he got was that he would be pretty much a servant under his younger brother. So Esau loved his father, Isaac, 
but he probably felt a little slighted when Isaac gave the blessing to someone else. It was apparent also that Rebecca didn't really love Esau that much, right? Jacob was her favorite. And so she did everything she could to pretty much ruin Esau's life, it seems, right? And so he wanted to do all he could, Esau did, to please his father. So he had some daddy issues here, right? He just didn't understand. You know, we, we hear that Isaac told Jacob not to marry a Canaanite woman. And so Esau then believes, like, whoa, okay. Is that all it takes to kind of please my dad is to not marry a Canaanite woman? Well, I have a couple wives already. Uh, so what I'm going to go do then is just kind of prove to my dad that, hey, you know, I'm kind of trying to make things right, and I'm going to go marry someone who's not a Canaanite, but I'm going to go and marry a daughter of Ishmael, the son of, the son of Abraham. Oh, that should be even better, right? So what could be more pleasing to Isaac than this? So we're going to go talk about that here in a little bit. But uh, the, the next and last uh, point here is disappointment never excuses disobedience. So one thing that to make clear here is that God chose Jacob, right? He didn't reject Esau. Let's make that clear, right? So Jacob was chosen to follow the promise of Abraham, but just because he was chosen to do that it doesn't mean that Esau was rejected, right? In fact, we, as we read earlier, there's these two nations, Right? Israel from Jacob and Edom from Esau. So Esau didn't really comprehend the love of God because he felt rejected by his father already. You know, he lost his blessing. And he was struggled to, struggling to understand his father's love, but he still wanted to please him no matter what, right? Because Isaac really you know, did love uh, Esau. And so even though he already had wives, he felt like, okay, if I don't marry a Canaanite woman, I'm going to show my dad and go marry someone else that isn't Canaan. But I'm going to go marry someone who is a daughter of Ishmael, right, the son of Abraham. And this is kind of where uh, Esau doesn't really understand this whole point of Ishmael, right? So Ishmael really was rejected uh, to carry out the line of Abraham because he was a child of what we call like self-effort. And so in Galatians chapter 4, it says that Abraham had two sons, right? One was born of a slave woman, which is from Hagar, and then the other one was born free through Sarah, Right, so the one born of the slave, his name was Ishmael, uh, and, and was of the flesh, while the other, Isaac, was born uh, through, through the promise. And so Sarah could not conceive, and so she told Abraham, hey, in order to get your line to continue, why don't you have a baby with my slave woman, uh, Hagar? Right? But that wasn't God's plan. Isn't it interesting to, to hear that when, when people don't, Believe God's promise, just take things into your own hands. So Sarah's doing the same thing here, right? And she says, you know what? I, I'm going to go, I, I'm barren, I'm old, this is not going to happen, so have a baby with my slave woman, right? Again, that wasn't God's plan. God's plan was to have it through Isaac. That was the promise. But Sarah didn't trust that promise. So Ishmael was born of fleshly striving, not of spiritual dependence. So without realizing it, really, Esau's plan kind of backfired on him. It seems in suffering, selfishness can come out. Uh, consider, you know, where we are today. Here we are. We've got uh, we're in the middle of a war in Ukraine that got started by a selfish uh, president in Russia, right? Or maybe let's bring it closer to home. In the last two years, it seems like our culture has been uh, very impatient. You see it on the roads, right? When you're driving on the road, it seems like everyone's cutting everyone off, you know, showing you uh, that you're number one, right? And so uh, everything has been a political argument, it seems, right? Whether it be about the pandemic or whether or not the Kansas City Chiefs really own the AFC West, right? <laughs> There's always these disagreements, right? And where there is disagreement, it seems that people attack each other's character and what you stand for. It's like Suffering has led people to turn against everyone else. Seems we become a lot more opinionated, and social media has made that more accessible to us. So you see it more often. So when we're trying to make it through tough times, it's easy to focus on ourselves, and then self-preservation starts to kick in, and sometimes we just start to lose our senses and make poor decisions. And when it comes to sin, you know, if we're struggling to break through that, some of us say, you know what, I keep falling into that over and over again. I might as well just, you know, just give up and just keep on doing that. Just throw in the towel. Or maybe we're just so used to disappointment that we just expect it, right? We don't even see 
the good come out of everything. Now, there's this great theologian named Michelle Jones Watson, also known as MJ in Spider-Man. And she says this, if you expect disappointment, then you can never really be disappointed. That's pretty a sad view or perspective on life because if you believe this, it means that you don't believe God's promises for you, that you do not trust in God. And then whatever it says in Romans 8.28 is pretty much out the window. And Romans 8.28 says this, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for the good for those who have been called to his purpose. So that perspective where you might as well just expect disappointment is just a lie, right? But God... But, but James instead says this in, in chapter 1. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. So when we're facing uh, difficult times, maybe you're facing one right now, but, and if you're not, then there's going to be one around the corner, I can guarantee it. It's just a great reminder how much we need Jesus and, and that we need to remain steadfast. We have to remain resolute. We have to remain unwavering in our trust in him. And, and what's important is just staying obedient to him. We can measure the effectiveness of our obedience towards Jesus, uh, whether in our prayer time or devotional time, right, by the effect it has on our behavior and attitude. And so whenever we do spend some time with God and, and, and grow in him in prayer and in his word, we'll reflect that in our attitude and our behavior. So do we trust in God's promise for us? Do we believe he is going to do what he said he would do? Or do we doubt and take things into our own hands? Or do we just throw our hands up and just say, you know, screw it. I'm just going to do my own thing. When you feel like giving up or have this doubt about God's promises for you, remember his faithfulness in your life. And in in Psalm 40, uh, verse 5, this is actually one of my favorite verses. You have multiplied, O Lord, my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward us. None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell of them, yet they are more that can be told. Meaning that God has done so many things in our lives. And so when you feel like you are just kind of in this hole, that you believe that God does not love you anymore, that he's not going to take care of you, he's not going to provide you for you, remember all the things he already has done. Because he will continue to do that. And there is hope in that. Bernie Madoff, I know you probably heard of him. Whenever we talk about manipulation and cheating and deceit, you know, that, that name comes up in my mind because he was part of the largest Ponzi scheme in history where here's this man who defrauded thousands of investors out of tens of billions of dollars over the course of 17 years. Right? Investors trusted him because he created a front of respectability that his returns were very high and he claimed that he used a legitimate uh, strategy to make this money for himself, but also for them. So he made billions, about $65 billion, I believe, while his clients lost a lot uh, to him. So he pleaded guilty in 2009. He was 70, 71 at that time and was sentenced to 150 years in prison where he died in 2021. Here's a guy that he just couldn't have enough, right? He had to go and take everyone else's money. So he lied and cheated to get what he wanted and already more than what he already had. And so he stole people's life savings and he ended up in jail for the rest of his life and he died in it. Was that worth it? And you look at the opposite spectrum here. Look at Jesus who had everything, but he gave it all to give us the promise of everything. If we look at Philippians chapter two, it says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a good thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So God keeps his promises despite our shortcomings. No matter how many times we have messed up or feel that we've messed up, God's plan for us is this, we need to remember that, that God's word always stands true. We'll fail in the tough times and, and, and we may even forget them, put them on the shelf. But, but sometimes when we're going through tough, tough situations, that, that's kind of a, a natural human thing to go do. Right? But God is greater. There's a pastor down in, in Valley Fellowship Church. You might actually know him. His name is Brett Krimble. 
He says this, because of the grace of God, mistakes are temporary unless we refuse to change. It's really our choice today to, to choose God. And, and God's made a promise for you. You have to believe he's going to follow through on that. He always has. And, and sometimes it seems like things could be so impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Because of his intense faithfulness, he can and he will always keep his promises to us. If you put your trust in Jesus, then all of God's promises in the Bible are for you. The promise God made to Abraham flowed down to Isaac, then to Jacob, then to many generations. That led to the birth of Jesus. That line led to our salvation. His sacrifice and resurrection is our promise of eternal life with him if we believe. And I know we're growing a little long, but I want to leave you with one more thing. And I just want to, let's just turn to Genesis chapter 33. Actually, you know what? I'm just going to read it to you. In chapter 4, it says this. Okay, so before this, this chapter, Jacob was concerned that, uh, you know, Esau is coming through and, and that uh, once Esau see, sees him, he's going to kill him. Right? And so this is what we read here. But Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him and they wept. When Esau lifted up his eyes and saw the women and children, he said, who are these with you, Jacob said, the children whom God has graciously given your servant. And the servants drew near, they and their children, and bowed down. Leah likewise and her children drew near and bowed down. And last, Joseph and Rachel drew near and they bowed down. Esau said, what do you mean by all this company that I met? Jacob answered, to find favor in the sight of my Lord. Does that sound like someone who uh, is ruling over this other person? There's humbleness here. But Esau said, I have enough, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. Jacob said, no, please. If I have found favor in your sight, then accept my present from my hand. For I have seen your face, which is like seeing the face of God, and you have accepted me. Please accept my blessing that is brought to you because God has dealt graciously with me because I have enough. This he urged him, and he took it. So great to hear that, that here's these brothers who really have struggled pretty much all their lives. And, and you can harbor a lot of hate uh, towards someone else because of the wrong that's been done to you. But in this story, you see that there's forgiveness. And that's what we have in, in Jesus. You can think like, you know, I've, I've done so many wrong things. Why would God love me? One thing I can tell you is that there's nothing you could do to make God love you more. There's nothing you could do to make God love you less. He just loves you. And that's the truth that we have. His promises for us is through Jesus Christ, who is our salvation. In him we have hope and peace and the promise of eternal life. Let's pray.